0: If you've been listening to SSR for a while, you probably already know that I don't do scary. Like, at all. And if you are new to the show, welcome. You should know that I don't do scary. Because of this, when this week's guest suggested *Banicula* to me, I was a little hesitant. I didn't remember anything about this book from my own childhood, and I really prepared myself to be spooked as if the real world outside isn't scary enough. Within mere moments of picking up James and Deborah Howe's Benicula, which was published in 1979, it was clear to me that my fears were entirely unfounded. It turns out that Benicula is not scary at all. It's actually kind of hysterical and very pet-centric. My guests and I had so much fun chatting about this absolutely absurd book, and I am excited to share this conversation with you for week 3 of January 2022. You'll hear us talk about Benicula's origin story, its hilarious cast of animal characters, our favorite types of animal animation, my deeply upsetting childhood experience with a rabbit, and the best pet antics in the story. We also discuss Benicula's theme of acceptance and the way it introduces young readers to classic tropes from the vampire and mystery genres. We wrap things up with an important discussion about what you can do to prevent the banning of queer lit in your community. On episode 177, I am thrilled to welcome author Lev Rosen, who you might know as L.C. Rosen. Lev writes books for people of all ages, most recently Camp, which was a best book of the year from Forbes, Elle, and The Today Show, among others, and is a Lambda finalist, an ALA Rainbow List top 10, and is being adapted into a film directed by and starring Billy Porter. His next book, Lavender House, which you'll hear more about later in the episode, will be released in the fall of 2022. He lives in New York City with his husband and a very small cat, who you will also hear more about later in the episode. Find Lev online at levacrosen.com and at levacrosen on Instagram and Twitter. Find the podcast online at www.ssrpodcast.com, at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community on Facebook. There's always a lot going on in our listener community, from casual book chatter over on Instagram, to more in-depth conversations about throwback reads in the SSR book club, there's something for everyone. Plus, if you want to get even more involved, you can join us on Patreon at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast, or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. As a patron, you have the chance to support this little independent podcast with just a few dollars every month. And in return, you get access to a slew of exclusive perks like the always chatty SSR discord channel, bonus episodes, monthly newsletters, behind the scenes, sneak peeks, video reading recaps, and membership in the SWR Shit We Read book club, in which I personally facilitate conversations about books that are actually written for grown-ups. It's a lot of fun and I would love to see you there. Big thanks go out to each and every SSR patron listening now. I couldn't do this without you and I appreciate your support so much. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you might also consider leaving a positive rating and or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It only takes a few minutes to do this and it helps more people find their way to SSR. I've been partnering with my friends over at Libro.fm for about three years now, and I love that it gives me the opportunity to help more people find their way to this amazing platform. Libro.fm is a must for all book fans, especially audiobook fans. When you shop with Libro.fm instead of a larger company, you're supporting independent bookstores the audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's libr ofm F-M, and use code SSRPODCAST when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Are you ready to meet some hilarious, not-at-all-scary animals? Great. Let's go to the show. freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Lev. Welcome to SSR.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited.
0: I'm so excited you're here. I was thinking, I I think you might be a first around here. So I think you might be the first guest whose book we've talked about on our previous episode of the show, which is like pretty cool.
1: That is cool. I feel like a celebrity.
0: You are a celebrity (laughs) around here. So listeners, for those who don't know, we covered Camp, Lev's much loved, much lauded book back in New Reads November of 2021. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out. And now here Lev is, ready to talk to me one-on-one about a much older book than his own.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize how old it was, in fact. Like, I was looking up information about it, and this came out of the 70s. So it must have been out for decades before I read it, which is wild. And it's still, it's still going strong because my husband is a library director, and he says it is checked out constantly.
0: Really? That's really fascinating. So I have to tell you that I have not thought about Benicula in years. I actually don't think I've ever even gotten a request for this one. So I get notes and DMs from a lot of listeners who are making suggestions for books that they'd like to hear me talk about on the show. I don't think anybody's ever mentioned Benicula. It had totally like escaped my memory. I never stumbled upon it in one of my sort of like random internet searches for books to add to my list so this is really your doing the fact that we that we have Benegula on the pod and i have to say that i really enjoyed reading it so i'm thrilled that you made it happen
1: i know it feels very my brand too so i'm i'm happy to have made
0: it happen. <laughs> but i wasn't sure so let me tell you about my misgivings okay i don't like scary <laughs> And we decided that this is the book we were going to read, I think in like early November, maybe Mm -hmm. mid-November. I was like, okay, we just got through Halloween. I have already gotten through the part of the year when everybody's asking me why I don't do spooky books on the podcast. And now here we are doing vampires and it's going to be January when the episode drops. So like, I don't really know, but I was like, I mean, it's love frozen. So sure, let's do Panicula. (laughs) But it's not scary and that made me really happy. It's actually about a bunch of pets and I freaking love pets. So, Lev, can you tell me a little bit about what made you want to go back and read Pinocchio? Is it a book that you've thought about a lot over the years? Did you stumble upon it after I asked you to be on the show? Like share a little bit about your personal history with this book.
1: After you asked me to be on the show, I was I was thinking about like what I read when I was younger and the things I remember reading most when i was younger like by the time i was in you know junior high i was reading adult books you know so i i don't remember a lot of kids book stuff and i didn't want <laughs> i i didn't want to say yeah let's let's dig out some mercedes lackey and read you know bang rape scene in uh yeah. magic's promise or something yeah um, so i was thinking like you know younger i was thinking right. like real kids books and i I, I remember, like, I think one sort of book from each eight, like, I remember a picture book I really loved. And I remember a chapter book I really loved. Actually, I remember two, one of which you'd already done. I remember Mixed Up Files, classic. And then I was like, all right, what else was I really into? And I then it all came back to me very suddenly. So I'd forgotten about Benicula for years as well, until you were like, what books did you read as a child that were like four children and I had to dig and then it was like it was like a, a, a turning on a faucet all these memories of banicula all the baniculas I like read all the books that had come out by then I just had these memories and then I was like wait is that why I was goth in high school and college
0: <laughs> It's all and the answer fault. is maybe. <laughs> Are we blaming banicula for your goth?
1: I mean why not? Yeah I feel yeah. like my gothness is soft and fuzzy like a rabbit, so okay. it feels appropriate.
0: Okay. When you said the Benicula was aligned with your personal brand, I wasn't quite sure what you meant because we've <laughs> just met, but maybe that's what you were getting at.
1: Yeah, no, soft, furry, and, you know, a vampire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just a little bit goth. So mm-hmm. I... Don't know if I read this book. If I did, I don't remember, which is an experience I have a lot on the podcast because I was such a reader when I was a kid. Like, I tend to assume that I like read most of what would have been handed to me in my elementary school library, but it wasn't like a thing for me. It's not a book that I have thought about, as I mentioned earlier. I didn't know that it was part of a series. There were seven binocular books, then there were picture books. Like, this little cast of characters had such life.
1: There's a cartoon show.
0: There were two cartoons, which you told me about, and then I found when I was doing my own research. Did you know there have been stage adaptations? Have you heard about this?
1: No, that's wild.
0: Yeah, so there are two different stage adaptations, one of which I believe was a musical, one of which was just like... Stage play, you know, just (laughs) a
1: drama. (laughs) Well, I'm gonna have to find that 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 cast recording album now. (laughs) Oh,
0: I wonder if it's on YouTube. I wonder if we can get a performance, listeners. I'll check it out.
1: Do you have intro or outro music? Because if so,
0: I think we might need some new intro (laughs) outro music, listeners. If I can find a link to any of these YouTube goodies, I will definitely include them in the show notes. I think that people need to see what Benicula looks like on stage. I know that I do. But yeah, I didn't know Mm -hmm. that there were these like multiple cartoons, one of which is fairly recent. It premiered in 2016. So like this is still going.
1: And it has like Chris Kattan is the voice of Benicula. And then um, what's his name is the voice of Chester. Oh, man. I meant to from Lord of the Rings, not Frodo, Sam.
0: Oh, Oh, I know who you're talking about, but his name escapes me. Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty famous cast. And you said your husband still has kids checking this book out from the library, too.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still like in regular rotation. It is still going strong.
0: So interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about where all of this started, because it actually has a pretty interesting origin story. Have you read or heard anything about this?
1: I know that the authors, is James and Deborah Howe. James was a literary agent, Deborah was his wife, and I know she passed before the book came out from cancer very young. And I know that it was almost a joke between them is what I read. Do you know more than that?
0: I do, I know a couple of things. So the first book was published in 1979, but before it was published, James Howe wasn't trying to be an author. I actually don't know at what point like he became a literary agent because before any of this, he was a struggling actor. And it was during this time period that he came up with the idea. He told Bookpage that he was doing, quote, what a lot of actors do and staying up too late and watching movies on TV. It was watching all those bad vampire movies in the 70s that led to the idea of (laughs) Vanicula. And he says he can't remember the like exact moment when the character came into his head, but he was thinking about like what would be the most ridiculous, least likely vampire that he could imagine. And obviously like a rabbit vampire eventually came out of those questions. And his mother-in-law was the one who suggested that Benicula become the main character of a book. Initially, he was just kind of like talking about Benicula as this silly character, and he made a greeting card of him, but he never imagined that it would be a book. And then when he was joking around with his mother-in-law about it, as you said, Lev, it was kind of like an LOL kind of thing to begin with. One night after dinner, he and his wife, Deborah, as you mentioned, they just kind of like took out a notepad and started writing it together. So they would switch back and forth, like who was holding the pad who was talking it out loud, and then like who was making notes. And that's how it all started. And I think you'll really, you might either really appreciate this or really hate this as an author. Apparently, (laughs) the opening sentence of this book never changed one time. And there were very minimal edits and drafts required. Like the story that we have in our hands now, *Bunicula*, A Rabbit Tale of Mystery, which is the first book in the series, is very similar to the original story that they turned in.
1: I mean, that's the dream.
0: <laughs> do you feel angry right now?
1: <laughs> no, no. I've had books that that camp came out like that. Like almost there was just a few edits the first time around. Cool. So it, I think I, I'm a big believer when I teach creative writing, I tell my students like every book writes itself differently just because mm. you've done one doesn't mean you know how to do another. So I genuinely believe some books just happen like that. And there's no point getting angry or jealous about it because you'll have a book like that too one day.
0: <laughs> maybe I'm just projecting because as a writer, I'm angry at James Howe and maybe now a little bit at you, but I'll try to get over <laughs> it right. Okay, so then as you mentioned, Debbie, Deborah Howe, unfortunately did pass away before the book was published. She was diagnosed with cancer several months after they started writing it. And they, they set the book aside at first. And James Howe told... A website called Teaching Books. That after a few months, we needed to laugh. We needed something to put our minds to that wasn't so serious and difficult. And we went back to writing. Vanicula writing that book really made us laugh. It served the greater purpose of easing the pain and lifting our spirits, which I thought was really beautiful. But she did unfortunately lose her battle with cancer shortly before the book published. So those are my facts. I thought that there was a lot there. Um, James Howe has also talked about how. Like the story wasn't really ever meant to be about anything. Like it was just kind of meant to be like this silly story about a bunch of pets. And he started to receive letters, I guess, from young breeders who spoke about how they had learned so much about acceptance from Benicula <laughs> and that they were like, yeah, Chester was being so mean to Benicula because he was different. But Harold understood that like you should see through somebody's differences and just want to be friends with them. And so James Howe realized that he'd actually written this book about like how to accept people who are different than you are.
1: I think that's great. And also, I mean, one thing that I stumbled upon reading about this is James Howe is married to a man now. So as a queer author myself, obviously, I was like, Oh, that's that's fantastic. I love that. But also, you know, if we're talking about themes of acceptance that maybe you're not always aware of, that certainly speaks to something.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't come across that. But you're right. Like, I wonder if he can speak about that acceptance theme differently now, or like more holy now, Mm -hmm. sort of in this stage of his life and like reflecting on his own work and on his own life. But yeah, but then became this whole universe. There were six other books, the most recent of which published in 2006. So this has been like going on for years and years. I had no idea.
1: That is, yeah, I 2006. Wow. Uh, that means I am not up to date. I have not read them all.
0: <laughs> you really have a lot of work to do. I, know, I, uh, I hope so. you can clear some time.
1: <laughs> 27 years long that series went wild. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is pretty wild. Um, but you did read the other books in the series?
1: I mean, the ones that were out when I was a kid, I don't remember. I remember my father loved the title, The Celery Stalks at Midnight. He thought that's it was good. the funniest thing in the world and he would like repeat it over and over again. So I remember that, and there was a hotel one.
0: The, the Holiday Inn.
1: Yeah, and that's the only two aside from the first one I remember off the top of my head. How many are there in total?
0: There's Benicula, A Rabbit Tale of Mystery, which is the one that you and I both read for today. There's *Holiday Inn, which was published in 1982. The Celery Stalks at Midnight, your dad's fave. That was 1983. Nighty Nightmare was 1987, in which apparently Mr. Monroe has some sort of a midlife crisis, which I'm intrigued by. (laughs) Um, Then there's Return to Holiday Inn in 1992. Benicula Strikes Again in 1995. And then he took quite a hiatus because Benicula Meets Edgar Allan Poe did not come out in 2006. And that has something to do with like they write to their favorite author, yeah, but that was after a long break.
1: I think that might be the only one I haven't read. Yeah. I think that one is the 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 uh, one that came out when I was uh, uh, too far into adulthood. <laughs>
0: like, I don't know that I can uh, pick this one up at, at my age. But now, I mean, now I've gotten you back into it. So I we know. as just, well, just finish what to. we started.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to. I, I mean, there's no denying it now.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned that you were something of a goth in middle and high school. Were you drawn to scary things?
1: Yeah, no, I'm not a scary guy. I okay. love... And, like, it was really not till high school that, like, I mean, I don't know. I was really into dragons in middle school. okay that goth? I don't know. I was into fantasy and stuff. And I think that yeah. evolved. And it's interesting that we're doing this, like, right after Anne Rice died, too. Uh, Ann Rice, Interview with Vampire. That's one of those books that, like, in high school defined a lot of my aesthetic. And the movie as well, obviously. And I was never into the scary, gory stuff, but I am into the the overwrought dramatic sort of historical vibe. You know, good vampire is a drama queen and I love a drama queen.
0: (laughs) I can get on board with that. I like know very little about vampires outside of what I read when I was like 14 and got into Twilight, which, you know, I'm not proud that that's kind of the extent of my vampire knowledge. But now I have Vanicula also. And so I'm just always learning. It's a journey. (laughs) The best part of this book is that it is told from the perspective of a dog. Mm -hmm. And listeners, you know, especially if you follow me on Instagram at SSRPod, that I am a very proud, very obsessed dog mom. And as I was reading this book and staring at my sweet baby angel, Irving, aka Irv, a golden retriever, I was just imagining like the way he would write or relate a story like this, or really any story. And I was imagining like how he would probably be able to dramatize like just about anything because pets' <laughs> lives, like when you think about them are super boring.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they
0: don't do anything. Irv sleeps maybe 19 hours a day. <laughs> and so anything unusual that that would happen to him could be cause for a story, much like we get in Benicula.
1: Yeah. I also wanted to draw attention to the editor's note that oh, I so good. I love it where it's essentially like an editor who is, is, is introducing the book and is like a dog came in and dropped this manuscript in front of me, which is, you know, essentially how publishing works. <laughs> uh, and...
0: It's that easy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: which implies somewhere along the line that like, not only is the dog able to like, you know, dramatize this, but I guess he like wrote it. With his hands, like his, or he figured out how to use a keyboard or a pen. I'm unclear on that. Yeah, so somewhere along there, you know, we lost the opposable thumbs battle.
0: <laughs> he figured out how to get around it. Uh, yeah, maybe he, maybe he got one of the boys to help him out. He has these boys that he lives with. They give him chocolate cupcakes, which <laughs> I, of course, was very alarmed by. I
1: know, and that was, I was like. When was that ever? I mean, they're supposed to be like hostess clearly, but like are are hostess cupcakes okay for dogs?
0: Yeah. I mean, I drop like a mini chocolate chip on the floor and it's like, everybody stop what you're doing. We need to find the mini chocolate chip. I'm like digging under the kitchen cabinets, trying to make sure that there's no chocolate on the ground, which is Mm -hmm. even I can recognize that's over the top, but I don't feel comfortable with the fact that Harold in this book is just like, every night expecting a hostess chocolate cupcake
1: yeah that was pretty out there to me i was like this this, how many dogs have like been poisoned or had serious intestinal issues because of this
0: blame it on benicula yeah really it's it's (laughs) benicula's fault But as you mentioned, Harold apparently figured out how to get this story on paper and took it to a publisher. And the editor wrote the note introducing it. I love the editor's note as well. Um, I immediately was in. Like I said, I had some, I was like, I don't really know what this book is about. Is it going to be scary? But once I read the editor's note, I was like, nope, here we are. I cannot wait. (laughs) Give me more of these animals. Do you generally like movies or tv shows or books that are told from the perspective of animals i feel like people can have really strong feelings about this like by the time listeners are tuning into this episode it will have been two weeks after our dr doolittle episode during which we had quite a conversation about like the way that animals are sometimes voiced in like animated movies and like just different kinds of pop culture are you somebody who has strong feelings about that
1: i don't have especially strong feelings about it i mean like i think you know every story has to have its own world and certainly the world here is so like infused with like classical vampire narratives like dracula you know that editors note to me is a very you know since dracula have you read dracula
0: no i'm telling you like twilight's it for me and i'm not proud oh
1: man dracula is so good it's an epistolary novel so the uh the i don't remember the exact opening of dracula if it has an editor's note or anything like that but it's certainly about sort of the idea of found documents and diary entries and like i put these together as a warning kind of thing Mm. and so that editor's note to me immediately evoked sort of victorian vampire narratives i didn't think much about animal narratives
0: (laughs) and because i haven't read dracula all that i could think about were animal narratives so we sort of come at it from different perspectives
1: you have strong feelings i haven't heard this episode yet
0: well so i don't want to give too much away well i guess by this point people will have have heard it but we sort of got into a chat about like (laughs) the different methods that that i guess i guess animators would be the ones responsible for doing this or like directors like do you prefer we talked about homeward bound which isn't an animated movie but we talked about like homeward Mm -hmm. bound as opposed to animated movies like particularly more recent cgi films where it looks as though like these animals are like actually speaking as if they are humans versus a movie like homeward bound as a 90s kid loved homeward Mm -hmm. bound cried many times to homeward bound and like nobody's pretending that those animals are actually like the words aren't actually coming out of their mouths so yeah, we sort of had like an in-depth discussion so about that. Right. So we talked about those two approaches and like a few others. I don't know that I have a strong feelings, but I'm always interested because I have a few people in my life who like really don't like seeing animals talking on screen. Um, <laughs> it just like creeps them out. And so since we are having two books this month that focus on like animals living very human lives, uh, I just had to ask.
1: I mean, it feels like such a classic children's thing, too. Because, like, you know, another book I, I thought of much later, you know, after I, I had already taken this one out from the library, I was the Red Wall series. You remember those? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, so the anthropomorphic animal, I feel like, is a... How do they feel about, like, cartoon animals talking?
0: I think it's, like, all the same for these people. Like, they just don't like the notion of animal. It creeps them out. I don't That's agree. So weird. Don't come at me, everybody. Yeah. But... Yeah, I just, we all have our weird tics, I guess, things that bother us.
1: I guess so, but I am fine with it for the okay. record.
0: <laughs> Great, so now that I know you're fine with it, we can, we can soldier on through this story. Um, <laughs> Harold introduces us to his family. He is a member of the Monroe family. And I loved what he said about his family in describing them. It reminded me very much of my own household, uh, again, as a dog mom with no human children at this point. I tend to take my relationship with my dog and my dog himself very seriously. Um, and Harold says, in our family, everyone treats everyone else with great respect for his or her intelligence. That goes for the animals as well as the people. Everything that happens to them is explained to us. And I was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds about right for my house. <laughs> uh, when you work from home by yourself with your dog all day, you explain a lot of things to him.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I'm at home all day with my cat. I feel like, She's just not interested in what I do. She's like, are you a lap? Do you have food? Mm. These are like warmth food. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, otherwise no interest.
0: Yeah, she has no use for you. Well, I recently caught myself giving my dog like a full speech about how privileged he is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how it came up, but I caught myself like halfway in between a sentence. where I was like, you're a very privileged dog. And then I was like, oh, wow, we have to stop. Like, this is, we need to go be with some humans today.
1: I mean, I call my cat spoiled all the time.
0: (laughs) I mean, we just have to tell them the truth about how they're behaving sometimes, that they can be accountable for their behavior. So the Monroes seem to take the animals very seriously. I also loved Harold's sense of responsibility to his family. He says, I had been left home by the family with the admonition to take care of the house until they returned. That's something they always say to me when they go out. Take care of the house, Harold. You're the watchdog. I think it's their way of making up for not taking me with them. So yeah, just like, oh yes, this is how a dog would probably perceive Mm
1: -hmm. repeatedly
0: being like told to watch the house. He like actually is like, okay, this is my like solemn responsibility.
1: Yeah, no, he's very like, you know, he takes it upon himself. It felt very Templar kind of, you know, (laughs) sacred. yeah.
0: We also meet Chester, and I'm happy to hear that you have a cat because now we have, you know, I can represent the dog
1: Mm -hmm. ownership
0: side. You have a cat. I did grow up with cats, but it's been a long time since I had a cat living in my home. But the cat is Chester, and Harold explains to us that Chester is a very different kind of cat because he was given to the family as a gift for, I believe, Mr. Monroe's birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mr. Monroe is a professor or a teacher of some sort. And so Chester has become like kind of the, the stand-in for his students. So Chester is like the first one to hear all of Mr. Monroe's lectures. And <laughs> Mr. Monroe like judges whether or not they're interesting based on...
1: If Chester falls asleep. If Chester yeah. falls asleep. <laughs> I would not use this test with my writing and my cat. It just... no. No, I don't. I I, I think I would hate my work a lot more than I already do. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, I would think that like you would never have great confidence in your own work if you were basing it on whether or not your pet fell asleep paying Mm -hmm. attention to you, but
1: or left the room like that would be even worse.
0: Yeah, that would be really, really bad for your ego. But Chester's also very well read. We find out that he developed a taste for reading when he was a kitten. Uh, which lays the groundwork for a lot of things that happen later in the book. (laughs) So we kind of know the players, the key players, but then the Munro's come home from their night out after Harold is watching the house and they have a little new family member with them. I think, you know, at first it just looks like a little like kind of parcel wrapped up in one of their arms and like what's inside. And it's a rabbit. Did you ever have a pet rabbit or like any other sort of like small creature?
1: No. I I know people who have had pet rabbits, but I myself, who currently do have pet rabbits, but I myself have never had a rabbit. They're cute. I had a student once bring a rabbit to class. Very cute. Jumped around the table.
0: They are cute. I find them very charming. I was the victim of a rabbit bite when I was six years old, Mm -hmm. which has sort of soured me to rabbits because it was like a pet rabbit. It was a friend's rabbit. And I had to take rabies medicine for like weeks after because I guess that was, that's just like a precaution. And I was very dramatic about taking the bunny bite medicine as I called it at the time. And it was just like a whole thing. So as much as I think rabbits are cute, I'm a little nervous about them.
1: Do you have a scar or anything?
0: That's a good question. I don't know.
1: I knew someone once who like was essentially missing the tip of her finger because a rabbit had bitten it off when she was little.
0: I mean, my situation is not nearly that serious.
1: When I think of rabbit bites, I think of like...
0: No, I did not have that kind of situation. But now that I'm wondering, like, I do have a couple of what I thought were birthmarks on my hands. And I'm like, maybe that's the rabbit bite.
1: Maybe. I'm gonna
0: they're to sharp.
1: I mean, you know, they're they they they're the, of that family of uh, animals where they have to keep gnawing like wood, right? To keep their teeth from growing too much. Wow. Yes. So they can really bite through stuff.
0: Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to have to talk to my parents about this. The saddest part of that story is that I was wearing my Easter dress at the time, and it had rabbits Ah. on it.
1: Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at this story of trauma, but...
0: It's okay. I've moved past it, clearly, since I'm talking about it on my podcast. So they bring this rabbit home, and Harold is interested In the rabbit. Mm -hmm. I think Harold is sort of like a happy go lucky kind of guy. He, like most dogs, is like eager to please the family. So if the family is bringing home a rabbit, he's like, oh, this rabbit must be pretty cool.
1: The rabbit is adorable too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's described as having black and white and the black on the back and head, sort of a widow's peak going into almost a cape. Mm -hmm. sounds like real interesting markings. And on the cover, at least of of my version, it it, it demonstrates it and it's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if this rabbit on the cover didn't have bright red eyes, it would just be like really cute all around. I mean, even its little things are kind of cute.
1: And those tiny little sharp (laughs) things. And the ominous shadow.
0: He looks huge on the cover. But even the fangs kind of look like a friendly overbite if you take the red eyes away.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: I mean, rabbits do tend to have pretty big teeth, (laughs) as I know all too well. Um, (laughs) But then things get like a little awkward because Harold begins to get jealous. The boys are way more interested in the rabbit than they are in Harold. There's a lot of sort of, you know, like predictable banter within the family.
1: They call Harold smelly old Harold, really not cool.
0: Yeah, it makes me feel like I shouldn't call my dog smelly as much because (laughs) Harold's really took it to heart. But Chester is like really not excited about what's going Mm -hmm. on. It doesn't take long for him to become very suspicious about Benicula's real origins. And I guess it's worth mentioning that they call him Benicula because they found him at the movie theater when they went to see a Dracula movie and the boys like, couldn't agree on what to name, name him. And like the mom, Oh, it was it fluffy. Like the mom has a name that she,
1: yeah. The mom wants to name every pet fluffy
0: fluffy. Right. And she's like, maybe we should name this pet fluffy. Like I think Harold was almost fluffy and then Chester was almost fluffy. And she thought she was finally going to get her way with the bunny. And no, his name is Benicula.
1: Yeah. The boys had to unite to make sure they outvoted her.
0: Compromise. <laughs> Compromise is key in these situations.
1: (laughs) It's worth noting also that the bunny had a note. Yes,
0: that Harold, was he could translate.
1: Yeah, because he's got some old, like, Romanian bloodhound blood in him. So apparently the otherwise, like, pretty doofy Harold compared (laughs) to the neurotic, educated Chester. Uh, You'd think Chester would be the translator, but no, it's Harold because of his blood. And it's uh, an ancient... Uh, romanian bloodline and uh it says please take care of my child right?
0: <laughs> so dramatic
1: <laughs> and here's where i get to reveal that i too have ancient romanian bloodline
0: <laughs> so you really do have a connection to this story and to harold
1: yeah my, i mean you know i'm jewish so like how much you know we, the pale was sort of you know the the uh, was sort of like coasted around Romania, but I had family who lived in Transylvania before coming to America. I don't think I have any relations to vampires, sadly.
0: Well, if you ever find out otherwise, please let me know. We'll do a follow-up. Oh, yeah.
1: No, I'll show up at your house and knock on the window.
0: <laughs> With all, and you'll be holding a little rabbit in your hand.
1: <laughs> I have a gift.
0: <laughs> please take care of my child. <laughs> so... Things like really start to bug Chester when the vegetables in the house are white. And I will say like the idea of a refrigerator full of white, like colorless, lifeless looking vegetables did creep me out a lot.
1: Yeah. It's weird, right? It's weird.
0: Yeah. And the the parents are explaining it away as like, oh, there must be a problem at the grocery store. Like this, there's... we'll figure this out. This is no big deal.
1: And they're also strangely dry.
0: Yeah. It's when you really think about it, it's kind of nasty.
1: Yeah. They think it's like a mold or a fungus or something, which I could see. And mold and fungus on vegetables is pretty gross too. So
0: yeah, it's just not, it just doesn't feel nice to think about it no matter what the explanation is. But Chester decides that he has the explanation. It's worth noting at this point that like neither of the pre-existing pets, neither Harold nor Chester have really like had much interaction with Benicula at this point. And I discovered in my research before we started talking today that like Benicula like is often not present in the books. Like he's generally not like active in a lot of the conflicts in the series, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, and I guess it's because he can't really communicate with them. Right.
1: Which I don't understand, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Why, why can't is he the one
1: animal who can't talk? Maybe he only speaks Romanian.
0: Well, then Harold should be able to tap into his old bloodline and
1: talk to him. I know. They should be able to talk. It's true. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, there's. I would say that's like my one major unanswered question about about it. They haven't really seen much of Benicula because he sleeps in a cage, but Chester decides that he might be a vampire. And he has a couple of reasons for believing this. Number one, Benicula sleeps all day. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's clear to Chester for, for no apparent reason that Benicula has been getting out of his cage on his own at night and somehow working his way into the refrigerator and then draining the juice from these vegetables that are now white with his fangs.
1: Yes, he's sucking the juices out.
0: Right. Much the way a vampire would suck blood out. Yes. And because Chester has done so much reading, like he is, he's very confident in this assessment.
1: Yes, he read *The Mark of the Vampire*, a classic text.
0: Yep, he knows, and he like really wants to get Harold on his team to help mm-hmm. him like expose Vanicula. I thought that their dynamic was so funny. What were your thoughts on the Harold Chester relationship?
1: Yeah, no, I adore it. I love. I mean, I, I relate very much to Neurotic Paranoid Chester. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see how normal people see me. Uh, <laughs> I, I like Chester a lot, especially as like the sort of mover of events, the sort of like, well, New person in the house. Here's my theory. We got to figure stuff out. Whereas Harold's like, I don't know, like, let's just chill. Like, let's, here's the, here's the bunny. Like, whatever. It's cool. Have some chocolate cupcakes. And Chester's like, no, there is something going on. Time to investigate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, they were, they definitely played off of each other really well. I feel like they mimicked the human sibling dynamic that we see in a lot of other books. Mm -hmm. Like, often we do see one sibling who's very much like harold's and then you see another one who's very much like chester and they play off of each other in a similar way so it was kind of fun to see that in animal form
1: or best friends even but yeah yeah
0: well and i like i was like i can't tell if they're best friends or if they're enemies and i hate to use this like very trite phrase but like are they are they frenemies i don't really know
1: I feel like they're I mean I think siblings makes the most sense. I mean they 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 had no call about who they were going to be sharing a house with after all. Right. So they were, you know, I think siblings does make the most sense actually. But um I think of that dynamic of like, you know, the sort of bossy neurotic one and the the go along to get along one as like, you know, classic. It's almost odd couple, you know.
0: <laughs> yes. That's a a good way to put it, too. So once Chester decides that he needs to expose Benicula, there are so many antics. And I legitimately laughed out loud uh, just, like, trying to picture some of the scenes described in this book in my mind.
1: Did yours have illustrations, too?
0: Yes, they did. But the way that I was thinking about it in my brain took it to an even, like, more zany level. And I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, I just they needed a little bit of extra color, a little bit more movement. My personal favorite was the moment when Chester decides that he's going to use garlic To expose panicula and as somebody like I can't eat garlic because my I like have a weird allergy to it.
1: Favorite. I know it's
0: everybody's favorite. So whenever I smell garlic or something, I'm I'm like what I'm just so not used to the smell because I don't cook with it. So whenever we go anywhere, I'm like oh what a lovely smell. So the thought of like a cat dousing himself in garlic, he was wearing it on like a necklace around (laughs) his neck,
1: and he made Harold wear some too.
0: Yeah, he puts them on Harold. He's, like, waving it around by the bunny. This whole production I thought was so funny.
1: I love the garlic, but I also love the moment where he tries to enact, like, <laughs> sort of, like, imagining a cat trying to enact the sort of classic <laughs> vampire thing where he's lying on his back with his arms crossed <laughs> and he gets up. And there's even an illustration, which I adored, of that. Oh, um, yeah. Uh-huh. And, like... A, I can't it, like how would a cat even like how does that look? But then B it sounds so blatantly obvious and the family's like, "What are you doing?" Right.
0: I guess he thought that like if I show them that I am a vampire, then the natural conclusion would be that the bunny is a vampire, mm-hmm. which it's I like don't straights.
1: think. <laughs>
0: it's not Chester's like best plan, but I guess I guess he he was just trying to get them a little bit closer to his conclusion.
1: They were hoping. Yeah, he was hoping. But, you know, they never figure it out. They think Chester is acting out because he's jealous, which maybe, maybe he is. Both two things can be true, both vampirism and, you know, jealousy. That's
0: true. And I again, in my research, I found that I guess there's no point in the series where the Munro's like realize that Chester and I guess maybe to some extent, Harold think that Benicula is a vampire, like for them, they just think the whole time the animals are acting weird, because animals are weird. And so it's never like presented to them as a possibility that the rabbit is a vampire and I kind of love that like again as somebody who is sort of put off by the mere possibility that this might be spooky like I love the idea that the like potential for vampirism is hypothetical the entire time and it's really just a series about like silly pets who are like trying to prove their points to Mm -hmm. their humans who really think they're absurd
1: (laughs) yeah no it's it's Classic. And like, you know, I think about my cat acting weird. She could be trying to warn me about a vampire and I would be like, what are you doing? Who's a cute little? Whatever. Like, you know, I would not pay at the least mind. I would miss all the signs. I would, unless my vegetables were turning white, I guess.
0: Well, then things have to go to another level. I think Uh, that's just really weird.
1: I'd have to switch grocery stores like they did
0: what else would you do we just can't we can't have this go on so i also really enjoyed when chester begins to cold shoulder harold because harold is like i'm not participating in this tomfoolery (laughs) anymore like i have decided that you are being
1: this bunny isn't hurting anyone
0: this bunny even if the bunny is a vampire he's not hurting anybody Mm -hmm. and so chester stops talking to harold And it's at this point that Harold decides to befriend Benicula because Harold is a dog and seems pretty social and like, you know, goes with the flow. And I pulled out one quote from the book shortly after Harold starts making friends with Benicula. He says, of course, Benicula didn't talk back, but he was a good listener. I'd begun to think of him as a friend, a strange one, granted, but one can't always choose one's friends, which I guess is sort (laughs) of like, a theme throughout because he definitely didn't choose Chester either mm-hmm. but it's at this moment that Harold develops a theory of his own because he realizes that Benicula like does not look well he looks really sick and just kind of frail and he has a theory that <laughs> this is so messed up <laughs> that Chester is starving him uh uh-huh. Harold says, Benicula was out of his cage on the floor while Chester stood in front of him, a piece of garlic around his neck and his arms outstretched, blocking the kitchen door. Suddenly it all fell into place. Chester was starving Benicula. Of course, that's why he seemed so listless. And that's why the vegetables had stopped turning white. Chester had made it impossible for Benicula to eat. <laughs> and I know that we were joking before we started recording about, you know, I had said like, there are no rules about language, like on this podcast. And we are like, LOL, like we're not gonna, curse on an episode about panicula but I'm going to, because the fact that that Chester is starving Benicula is really fucked up.
1: Yeah, no, this is totally fucked up. This is where Chester went from like adorable neurotic to like full <laughs> on like abusive. Because yeah. yeah. he's also taking the food out of the cage. Like Benicula is given food and he takes it out of the cage every day. Uh, he's trying to starve this poor bunny. And there's another illustration too. And the bunny looks so sad. <laughs> oh my really God. <laughs> And yeah, no, but I and also Chester looks ridiculous, sort of standing on his hind legs with the arms out, like he's the vampire. Um, with Medallion, he's he's trying
0: to intimidate him.
1: Yeah, poor little Benicula.
0: It's so sad. And Harold tries tries to expose Chester by like sort of finding a way to get Benicula into a salad bowl so that he yeah.
1: That was animal hijinks.
0: Yes, more hijinks and then Chester like jumps on top of Benicula in the salad bowl.
1: <laughs> and
0: of course Chester gets blamed. Like at this point Chester has had to take a bath, he's been locked outside, like he's had to do he's been punished for all of these things when he has been trying to expose mm-hmm. Benicula as the real villain. And now Chester is going to have to go to the vet because they're like, okay, you jumped on a rabbit in a salad bowl. And so that is grounds for you to go get checked out at the doctor.
1: And there's one thing that Harold says that I think gets back to the sort of like acceptance thing. And I can't find it now, but there's a quote where he's talking to Chester. He's like, he just eats differently. Relax. <laughs>
0: Just chill. Yeah. It's okay.
1: <laughs> and I, I remember like reading that and I was like, oh, because that's the moment I think also that we see Harold go from like fully on Benicula's defense to, you know, he's like, you know, before that he's like, well, you know, everything will be fine. But then it, it, Chester brings it to a head and Harold has to be like, no, this bunny is okay. Stop being an asshole.
0: Well, that was after, and we didn't even talk about this particular hijinks, but and that's after um chester like reads that to kill a vampire you drive a stake through it and so oh, yeah. he proceeds to like take a piece of meat steak and just like shove vanicula it like shove it
1: he like wraps vanicula uh, <laughs> he puts it on Benicula, and then like walks on it
0: yeah that really puts harold over the edge and he's like, i cannot <laughs> align myself with you anymore
1: this is a level of insanity that i can't deal with
0: So funny! So they take all three pets to the vet. They confirm that Benicula is in fact starving, (laughs) and they give him vegetable juice, which he seems very happy with.
1: It's like giving a vampire blood. It's perfect,
0: right? And that sets us up, I'm sure, for book two, and he can continue to be a vampire if that is in fact what he is. Harold is happy because he doesn't get any shots, and that's always a win. Mm -hmm. If a pet is going to the vet. And then (laughs) Jester is hilariously put into cat therapy, (laughs) which I think was well ahead of its time because I do think there are like a lot of pets now that are in some version of therapy.
1: I wonder if like, it was just supposed to be a joke. Cause you know, I think of the late seventies and I think of like, you know, speaking of assholes, I think of Woody Allen and like the sort of, neurotic archetype of that era who was like always going on about their analyst. And yeah. like, to me, that's who Chester becomes, you know, especially at the end where A, he's just talking about, well, my analyst says like <laughs> one of those people.
0: Yeah. And he talks about how he's like, Harold, I think we need to communicate more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was great. And that's kind of where we leave them. You know, Chester's working through his stuff. He's trying to get in touch with his kitten hood Harold seems happy enough. Benicula is no longer starving. And I guess we're ready for book two. I had so much fun reading this book. I hope that shows in this episode. Lev, I'm curious. How does the experience of reading Benicula as an adult compare to your memories of reading it from when you were a kid? Was it what you expected? Did it hold up?
1: I mean, I was thrilled. I, I read it in like one sitting. It was such a breezy, you know, fun read, And, like, there was was the one moment where there's, like, a page or so where he brings out the G-slur for the Romani people and, like, their violins. And I was like, ooh, this is not comfortable. But, you know, aside from that, I thought it held up pretty well overall. Like, and it was, I was trying to remember if I ever found it spooky. And I think I did when I was little. Like, not, like, scary. But, like, you know, it had that... It, you, know, they're, they're, you know, it opens with the dog coming in from the rain and depositing this manuscript. And then, you know, <laughs> they bring in the bunny from the rain. It's very atmospheric. And I think when I was younger, I was really into that vibe and that atmosphere. And I enjoyed that. And this time, of course, you know, I recognize it as sort of a series of tropes about a particular genre of vampire fiction, essentially. And I, I relate to it more in that sense. But I think what's great about it is like a kid who's never seen a Dracula movie, who's never seen, read Dracula. Like this is almost like a beginner's guide to Dracula. Like it sets up all these tropes that you're familiar with so that later on, if you are reading more adult vampire fiction, you're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is a vampire, this is a vampire story. Like I understand that archetypal narrative almost.
0: Yes, I also read that, um, I read in a few reviews that this is sort of a good primer for kids before they read like a Sherlock Holmes, because, you know, oh, we have Harold yeah. and Chester working together to to figure out this mystery.
1: And it has an old fashioned sort of narrative. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting note. I agree with you. Like, I think when I was a kid, I maybe would have thought that it was spooky. And as a kid, you are wondering like, oh, is he a vampire? And it was kind of fun to read it as an adult and to be like, I don't care if he's a vampire. Like, I just think this is funny. And maybe he is It maybe in this world, like maybe James Howe did think that he was a vampire and that was part of the universe, but it was really fun to to be able to just enjoy it and be like, I don't care. Like, it's just hilarious to watch these animals do their thing.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, it was a purely delightful read, but yeah, that makes perfect sense that it would be a great setup for like a Sherlock Holmes.
0: Yeah, well, I'm so glad you put it on my radar. Thank you so much for reminding me of this book.
1: You reminded me, so thank you.
0: <laughs> we've both we've both reminded each other of something very <laughs> special and magical. Other than *Venicula*, Lev, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Um, well, I kind of I, I read this ages ago. It's been out for a while, but I feel like if we're going to talk about vampires, I should recommend *Fell of Dark* by Caleb Raring. If you want like contemporary and it's YA, it's not children's, but like contemporary vampire fiction, that would be my rec for sure. But I also kind of wanted to talk about the te- the cartoon show. Did you watch? Oh the
0: yeah, no, show? I totally forgot to mention this. Let's talk about that.
1: I watched the one episode that's free because it was like on Cartoon Network, but then it moved to Boomerang, which I'd never heard of, Um, but it's like, you know, a subscriber cartoon channel, but they changed a lot in this modern one. So uh, it's still Chester, Harold, and Benicula, but they live with, seems to be an adult woman, Um, but like a young adult. There didn't seem to be any other adults in what I saw and she has a magic key that somehow allowed her to find Benicula in like the basement or something and Benicula doesn't still doesn't communicate in English it's Chris Kattan and he's like talks in like like that's the noise he makes (laughs) he like gestures and stuff but other monsters who show up to visit do seem to understand him and so monsters show up and like are like hey Benicula what's up (laughs) <laughs> and then Chester and Harold, mostly Chester and Harold, who is much dumber in the cartoon. Uh, I can see how that like, would be necessary. Yeah, he's just like, oh, sure thing, Chester, let's do that then. Um, <laughs> uh, although he also seems to understand Banicula at one point. Yeah, it seems to just be like weird, supernatural, like a giant cockroach shows up and like then they try to steal a, a zombie monkey thing. I wasn't entirely sure, like, if there's a plot per se, but the the funniest thing to me is that Benicula can fly by turning his ears, his bunny ears, into bat wings, and it is hilarious.
0: (laughs) That sounds cute.
1: Yeah, it's really cute. And visually, I was just like, this makes no sense at all, and I love it. It's,
0: like, zany.
1: Yeah, and it's very... It's a very strange, like I understand, I can see obviously all the threads from the book, but it's a very different interpretation for sure.
0: Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to watch either of the cartoons, but I I was reading some reviews of them. um, And apparently the old one, like people prefer the old one, I think Mm -hmm. was 1982. But the reviews for both of them talked about how like, there just isn't enough in the book, like in the source material to really have an adaptation. So they just had to kind of go off the page and change things and add things. And it sounds like they definitely did that. <laughs> yeah. The characters are a good place to start and they just like needed a little bit more to to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a fun world. It's like Vampire Bunny. Go nuts.
0: Go wild. I will definitely include links to some of those cartoons, maybe a few clips in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to the book you recommended, Lev. And I'm looking at you, you're in front of a bookshelf with many books, including several of your own. I know you have so many beloved books. We talked about Camp in an episode last November. Our guest on that episode, Dahlia Adler, also talked about some of your other books that she loves. I am going to throw it over to you. I want to hear more about what you're excited about in 2022, what you're working on. I heard some rumors, some excited gossip about an adaptation. Like, What can you share with us about what's happening?
1: Well, before I talk about my stuff, I do actually want to bring it back to Dahlia, because we're talking about stuff that's coming out next, uh, at this point this year, because it'll be airing in January. Her new novel, Home Field Advantage, which I got to read early, is phenomenal. It is no vampires. um, Mm. But aside from that, I think it is excellent. (laughs) (laughs) You can't
0: have a rabbit vampire in every book.
1: I mean, I could ask her. I could be like, can you do some edits real quick? But uh, it's Uh, dual perspective of these two girls at a somewhat conservative sort of Friday Night Lights town and one is a cheerleader who's vying for head cheerleader and is still closeted and the other comes in as the new quarterback when the old quarterback dies in a drunk driving accident and she is the quarterback on the boys team and obviously that creates a lot of drama Um, a lot of people are unhappy about it and you know she has to sort of uh, the cheerleader feels like she has to go along to get along the quarterback feels like she's fighting against everyone um but then a connection forms a sexy connection and i think it's just so well done in terms of the the sort of it's a contemporary coming out in a way that doesn't feel sort of overwrought or like you know sad it's much more about like here are reasons for not being out, like that have to do with my protection. Here are reasons for like coming out. Here are things I have to deal with now. Here's what's worth it, what's not worth it. Like here's how I, you know, I have a plan to come out of college later. Like you know that the, the it, I, it felt very contemporary in the way I think a lot of kids do think about coming out now Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also just really sexy and really romantic and I love love love, loved it so that I would strongly recommend Um, another book I read that's coming out soonish might be out Um, by the time this airs Kyle Lukoff's this is middle grade oh I'm blanking on the title different kinds of fruit there we go (laughs) for a second there I was like fruit fruit something fruit Um, which is excellent um and it is a middle grade um about this girl and a new student comes in who is non-binary and it it results in a lot of drama in her life when she tells her parents about it Mm -hmm. um and a lot of sort of i I, it's a book with a lot of reveals that i don't want to give away but it is so smart and nuanced that again it's about the ways different people handle coming out i think or not and i think it's so interesting in the sense for for queer kids today um to look at the way things were different for an earlier generation in terms of queerness Hmm. um so those are two big recommendations that i would throw at you but in terms of my own stuff uh, Well, they
0: sound great. I can tell you're like, I don't need to talk about my own stuff yet. Look at this other stuff over here. (laughs) Uh, Those both sound great. I love that you and Dahlia are like writing BFFs, by the way. I think (laughs) it's so nice the way you support each other. But now I'm going to put you back on the spot about your work in 2022.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I have a book coming out in the fall, an adult book called Lavender House. It is a historical mystery set in 1952 in which a closeted queer cop is caught. Uh, in a raid on a gay club and fired from the force and is contemplating suicide when a woman sits down next to him at the bar and is like, I know who you are and I need you to help me solve the murder of my wife. And it is about a lavender marriage. Essentially there's a murder and a lavender marriage which was a thing that used to happen in the 50s where A lesbian and a gay man would get, you know, sham married while keeping their lovers on the side, either to keep their job, to prevent blackmail, all kinds of reasons back then. And so they bring in this queer detective to essentially solve this mystery. Um, So it's a big queer family story, like Camp was, but a very different vibe because it's much more knives out, let's say. And it's the first in a series. I get to write these, the next one, I just finished the rough draft, I gonna show it to my editor soon but uh i get to write these historical queer mysteries and it's so exciting and fun uh because pre-stonewall queer history is something that is just not touched on very much in my opinion and the rumors that you heard, which I think was actually just an announcement in variety. <laughs> I'm just trying
0: to make them sound juicier. Like I have some sort of an inside source when it's definitely like public knowledge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that the film adaptation of camp, which is coming to HBO max is going to be directed by and starring the Billy Porter, um, which is so exciting. And I, I'm not allowed to say much more than that at this point, sadly, but I am thrilled and honored. And when my producer, Dan Jinks, who did, you know, American Beauty, Milk, Down With Love, which was like the movie that inspired Camp in many ways. Um, so when he was like, I, I'm, you know, Billy Porter's in, I was like, I like had a day and I couldn't talk about it for the better part of a year, I think. Um, so having it out there is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so many exciting things going on Down With Love was like my favorite movie when I was in high school by the way oh, so,
1: I love uh, Down With Love so passionately good. and yeah. so few people have seen it or know it was so unappreciated I agree and it is an amazing movie and it, it really did inspire camp because camp was supposed to be like this 1960s you know Doris Day Rock Hudson thing but contemporary at a summer camp
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's so cool. Yeah, I love Down With Love. I had read some interviews where you talked about like the Doris Day Rock Hudson mm-hmm. thing, but this Down With Love reference just like-
1: Because that's like a postmodern version of those and like oh, that's yeah. what I was trying to do. So oh. yeah
0: wow oh my gosh you just blew my mind i'm so excited to read your new book coming out in the fall i'm so excited to watch camp on HBO max i'm so excited to read everything that you write ever
1: actually if i can i there's one more thing i would like to add which is just my previous young adult novel jack of hearts and other parts is a book that is facing a lot of bannings right now um it's a sex ed thriller i'm not gonna you can read about it if you want but all over uh the country especially in texas they are trying to ban it as they are many other queer books, uh, many books by people of color. And one thing people can do is get involved in your school boards and like really write people and tell them that these books are important because queer kids really need these books. You know, Banicula is great for our little goth kids, but we need books that show little queer kids that it's okay to be queer as well. And you know it's fine to eat vegetables another way, so to speak, although that sounded filthy in that context. <laughs> so I would just encourage everyone to get involved with the school boards and pay attention to what books are being banned in your area.
0: Yeah, it's been very distressing to read uh, about what's happening in Texas in a lot of ways right now. But one thing in particular is the banning of so many important books especially for queer kids as mm-hmm. you're as you're describing. So I will see what I can do about posting some other resources uh, things that people can do to prevent that from happening in their own communities. And I appreciate you drawing attention to that, especially with your, with your own book, Dahlia spoke so highly of Jack of Hearts. I would like to read it. I haven't gotten a chance to yet. And I don't want people to be banning any books. So we need to, we need to figure out how to make that not happen, especially uh, when those books are meant to be supportive and resources for people that are often uh, unrepresented, underrepresented, um, and in places where they are pushed aside even more like Texas. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Not just Texas, but yeah, yeah.
0: Too many places. Yeah. But thank you for sharing. And um, we as an SSR community want to do what we can to to stop that. So um, I will see what resources I can post. And Love, it's just been such a joy talking to you. And uh, I'm grateful to you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, this was so much fun. And now I will have even more treasured memories of Manicula. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. I have a, a two-year-old niece. Maybe I can uh, read this to her. Maybe I can get her, you know, trying to bite my brother's neck. We'll see. We'll see. It's
0: a great plan. <laughs> Let me know if you ever read the 2006 book. We'll have to do oh, that.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Lev.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.